Welcome to the Bourbon Boys. This week on the episode, we have uh, Joe Henry from J. Henry and Son. How's it going, Joe? Excellent. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on. So, uh, as usual, anybody that listens to the podcast knows that the first questions are pretty much the same. How did you get into bourbon, Joe? Um, so, I've always been a, a bourbon drinker. Uh, started out know in college with Jim Beam and that sort of stuff and have been slowly working my way up uh up the rungs but the real um start for J. Henry and Sons since I'm the oldest son was uh from my dad so his father was um always into bourbon um so is my father and we actually own about a thousand acres of hybrid seed corn farm uh just north of Madison so really when my dad kind of has always liked bourbon his whole life um he actually went down to a trip to kentucky with american distilling institute um and you know when you go down there and go to those massive mega distilleries you just see whole rail cars of corn getting shipped in um to get distilled from all over the united states and so he kind of had this aha moment about 10 to 12 years ago saying well, we grow all this corn. Um, I've been raising high-quality seed corn at a very high level for his entire career. Um, in a couple weeks, he's actually getting a Master Agronomist Award uh, for sort of like a lifetime achievement. Um, so like a full 40 years of being um, at the top of his field. Um, that's going to be happening in March 27th. So we're really proud of him for that. But coming back to the bourbon, just raising that high-quality corn at such a high level, he actually met our current distiller, Paul Werney, out of 45th Parallel um, on that trip. And so when they both got back to Wisconsin, uh, they just started brainstorming. Um, my dad uh, remembered this really unique red heirloom corn that my father or my grandfather is actually raising on our property um, for about 30, 40 years. So that's the corn that we use because it was unique to the state of Wisconsin. Um, it was developed in 1939 by the UW Madison Ag Research Department and then raised on our property, uh, sold to local farmers for the following like 30 years. Um, then it fell out of production when GMOs became real popular. Um, so most corn being used today is GMO, uh, number two, yellow dent corn. And in sort of an effort to be a little bit different, we wanted to use this red heirloom W225 or whatever the hybrid number is, um, because it was really a unique look to it. It was unique to our farm and unique to the state of Wisconsin. So about 12 years ago, we got 1200 kernels out of the uw madison's seed vault or seed library um repopulated that strain um over the course of about three years and essentially put our first uh bourbon barrels away in 53 gallon barrels in december of 2009 so we're coming up on our uh 10th year anniversary for making bourbon uh, this upcoming year uh, however, we, we did wait a full five years to get into this. Um, that kind of freaked my dad out a little bit. You know, you got all, all these barrels sitting around for a full five years. Um, so we're at our 10th year anniversary for making whiskey and our fifth year of selling it um, 
coming up pretty shortly here. So what was the uh, first bourbon you ever had? Um, I think it was just Jim Beam white label. <laughs> and then I slowly worked my way up to, you know, like Maker's Mark, uh, some Four Roses stuff. Um, and now, you know, as we were talking before this conversation, uh, I'm trying to just try as much of the rare stuff, as much of like the old juice that I can get my hands on just to sort of see what else is out there and see, uh, what the competitive landscape looks like. Have you gotten to try a lot of dusty stuff? Yeah, there is a, there's a couple bars in Chicago that Mm. carry some pretty cool stuff. Um, the two off the top of my head would be uh delilah's um and the milk room at the chicago athletic association um those are the two that i've been to um longman eagle is another really really good one that's got some cool stuff uh and they've got stuff like you know stitzel weller juice from the 70s that are that are still sitting in bottles up there um and then when you just become a part of this community and People appreciate what you're doing. They don't have a problem sharing some of their fun stuff with you. Yeah. So, like, if I'm working on a new project, um, some of my buddies in the industry will be like, oh, man, I've been saving this for a special occasion. Let's go try it. Yeah, I've heard Delilah's is a really nice place in Chicago. Yeah, they've got an amazing whiskey selection. So, the next question I always ask is, best pour you've you've ever had, most intriguing, whatever just sticks out in your mind? So one thing that really sticks out is a old granddad uh, decanter that I got from, I think, 63. National Distillers? Um, yeah. No, that was uh, – it was at that bar, um, the Milk Room at the Chicago Athletic Association. Well, I meant that's who made it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was some old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was expensive, but – Definitely worth it. I mean, you're tasting a part of history right there. There's definitely people that just go after uh, Dusty Old Granddad because of that. It's it's a it's a cool pour. I've had a few of those older ones myself. Yeah, I think like anything from that uh, early '60s is is really solid if you can get your hands on it. So now I'm going to ask you some questions about the distillery uh, specifically. You may have already answered this one a little bit already. When did yeah. you start the distillery? Um, so we're kind of in a unique situation because we still farm about a thousand acres of hybrid seed corn, give or take, you know, a few hundred every year. Um, so we actually don't own our own distillery. We, uh, we raise all the grains, um, all that heirloom red corn I talked about earlier, all the heirloom, uh, wheat, all the heirloom rye. Um, then we get some malted, uh, barley from Breeze in Chilton, Wisconsin, Send that mash bill up to uh, 45th Parallel in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Um, And we started doing that in 2009. We then age um, everything in 53-gallon new charred white oak barrels for a full five years. So we didn't release our first product until February of 2015. Why did you start start the distillery? Um. So a couple of things. Uh, I think my uh, my mom just wouldn't let my dad buy a car for his midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other answer I give people is uh, he he knew I would probably make a pretty terrible farmer, but still wanted me <laughs> to be involved in the family business. 
Um, and I'm a pretty good liquor sales rep, uh, <laughs> uh, when it's all said and done. So those are some of the joking reasons. Um, the other more serious stuff is, you know, he's always had a passion for it. It's always been something that he's drank and enjoyed. Um, and really just a way to diversify our, our family business and our portfolio. Um, in a time where the industry is just uh, booming. So I think we hit it, you know, kind of right at the, at the cusp about five years ago um, with some well-aged product and a cool story. And, and now we're seeing sort of the fruits of, of all that patience. Nice. So what, uh, you, you said a little bit of this already, what sets you apart from other Wisconsin distilleries? I think the, um, or distilleries in general, actually, because you all do do something a little bit different than most. Yeah, I think in general, um, we, I mean, raising that corn, you know, all those grains, um, a lot of the corn and grains grown for bourbon are pretty, um, GMO products. Uh, they're very commoditized. And they're mass produced, which there's nothing wrong with it. A lot of the best bourbons in the world are made with that same grains and mash bills. Uh, but we just take a lot more care and time um, treating our corn. Uh, like I said, my dad's a ma- becoming a master agriculturist for the state of Wisconsin with 40 years of growing experience. So you really apply that knowledge of raising these high quality grains um, in high quality soil right next to where they're being aged. Um, And I think something that's kind of cool that I hope people start talking about that's really, really popular in uh, the wine industry and viticulture is the idea of terroir. Um, Nobody's really touched on that with bourbon, but I hope that becomes a a bigger topic in, in the near future because once you are able to detect some of the subtleties of these different grains um in your final product you know it's a it's a really cool experience to taste what blue corn or or red corn or um kind of that mixed corn all tastes as a final product and then also kind of throwing that that climate and that aging condition into the mix as well can you tell us what terroir is yeah so terroir in, in its essence is really just uh, I actually don't know the French term for it. Um, <laughs> well, just the way you mean when you use it, what are you talking about? Just the tasting of different types of grains? Yeah, so um, in the wine industry, terroir is sort of the idea that um, you get so many different flavor profiles just based on where the wine is produced, mm-hmm. um, how it's produced. Um, and the complete microclimate of, mm-hmm. of where that, that specific vineyard, um, grape varietal comes from. Um, and the, even it comes down to like the climate and how much rainfall they get in a year. So people who are really into wine will be able to tell the major differences between uh, a Malbec that's grown in, say, Argentina, high up in the mountains in the Andes, versus something that's grown more traditionally in uh, in France. Um, and having that much difference in that much spectrum, obviously, uh, 95% of the bourbon is made um, 
still in Kentucky. So you are going to see a lot of similarities, but now with this whole craft resurgence, you're seeing, you know, bourbons made in Texas where, uh, I I've heard of some guys that are throwing whiskey barrels into shipping containers that they painted totally black so that that temperature rises to like 150 degrees in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might not get a lot out of it, but it's coming out with a pretty unique and <laughs> different flavor um, just because it evaporates. Then you're coming out with stuff that's made in maybe the Pacific Northwest where it's a little bit damper, it's a little bit chillier, um, and your proofs will, will sometimes drop because of that discrepancy between the climate and the barrel proof and the alcohol content. Um, and then obviously you got everything in Kentucky where they're all kind of doing their own little things a little differently. And once you start learning about all the different like yeast strains that are out there, um, the different percentages of mash bills and components, there's so much variety in this spirit that I really hope people just, um, start appreciating it a a little bit more and, and are becoming more and more aware of, kind of the things that make all these beautiful products so unique it is awesome that all the uh there's a lot of craft distillers out there actually coming out with good product that they made instead of sourcing to which is uh a relatively new phenomenon because it was just strictly sourcing there for a while pretty much exclusively for all the well-known craft distillers yeah and i mean about 10 years ago you know you could probably you could probably name not 80 to 90% of the craft bourbons were coming from, uh, you know, Indiana. Yeah. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think MGP makes some amazing juice and that's why they were able to sell to a lot of these companies who, who sort of started and created their own brand and their own identity around, around that. And it's been really helpful for the industry, just getting a lot more variety out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, not something that that we wanted to do simply because we wanted it all to come right from our farm um but yeah it's really exciting to start seeing what some of these craft distillers that are coming out with their own distillate um are are coming out with sort of speaking on those terms you all don't source but you sort of source by using someone else to make your product what made you make that decision between sourcing and uh, craft and um, what do you call it? Sorry, this is it's oh, uh, contract contract distilling. Yes, what made you all make that choice when you decided to do it instead of doing it on your own? Actually, and just I assume the cost of entry prohibitively kept that from happening, buying all the equipment. You there? Um, yeah, I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, can you cut that out a little? That's all right. All right, cool. Um, so I think you got cut off a little bit, but I'll just jump right in and talk about um, sort of why we just didn't decide to source, yeah. uh, why we didn't um, decide to build a still right now, um, and how it's worked out, how I think it's, it's positively impacted our brand. Um, moving forward so perfect the first and main reason we didn't build a still is obviously they're super expensive um you know if you want a nice piece of equipment it could be anywhere from a few hundred thousand dollars to a few million 
Mm-hmm. Um, and being a fully operational seed farm and a family business, we just couldn't set aside that much capital um, to get started right away. The other reason is because we really felt a need um, because, you know, my dad's name is on that bottle. My, my name's on the bottle. My brother's name is on the bottle is to make sure that everything was truly ours. Um, and the reason we, uh, wanted to do that is because we wanted to wait a full five years to come out with a a product with a, a solid age statement. So everything is coming from our property. Um, it's aged in our rick houses and, it's got our name on it. Not that there's anything wrong with sourcing bourbon or whiskey or rye. Uh, it's been a great entry for a lot of different companies that have become very successful because of it. Um, but those are kind of the two main reasons we, we didn't want to build a still. Also, my dad um, and doesn't really want to drink vodka anymore. <laughs> so if you spend that much money on a, on a still, you probably got to start producing some clear spirits or some spirits that are younger um, to make up with that huge cost discrepancy. So then the reason we decided to contract is because, you know, those three reasons we, we found a great partner in 45th parallel um, also in Wisconsin. Um, that was kind of the third selling point for us is we wanted all of our products to come from within the state or all of our uh, processes and uh, entrance to come from within the state of Wisconsin so that we could really uh, try and dominate our local landscape before spreading, spreading out. All right. Uh, so you want to give us your all's location and tour times while we're talking about the distillery? Yeah, definitely. So we are about um, 20, 30 minutes uh, north of Madison. Um, it is at uh, 7794 Patton Road, Dane, Wisconsin, 53529. Um, And it's literally right off the interstate. So if you're leaving Madison going north on 90, you're going to drive right up there um, to the Dane to Forest exit and get right off. Um, And then it's like a, a... about a five, 10 minute drive to Patton road. And then another five minutes, um, to our farm. Um, you can actually see the farm from the interstate because when they were building that highway in the fifties, um, they just declared eminent domain on our property and snuck a highway through one of our fields. (laughs) Um, so it's kind of a pain. We got to drive machinery all, all the way around to get at this small piece of land. Mm. Um, our, disti- or, uh, our tour hours are Thursday through Monday, noon until 6. Um, I think when it's a little colder out, maybe the last tour is at 5 because it's uh, our rickhouse doesn't have any electricity. It's mm-hmm. completely all natural. Um, you can't really see anything in there once it gets really dark out. So, Plus, you don't want to be outside at dark right now anyway. Oh man, I can tell you from experience, there's nothing colder than hanging out in a rick house full of uh, full of barrels that won't freeze in the dead of winter. I am. Uh, I'm not looking forward to being in Baraboo this weekend in like 10 degrees. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an experience, man. 
So uh, getting into your bourbon a little bit more, what's the oldest product you all have in barrels now? I know it's not available for purchase, but just in general. So we do have a barrel that is um, like eight or nine years that we haven't really decided what to do with it yet. Um, Part of it is going to be going into a really unique product that I'm coming out with uh, hopefully later this year if the TTB gets their act together after this government shutdown and can approve (laughs) our label. Um, But so I sort of got the inspiration to create sort of our own, um, like I said previously, it's our 10th year anniversary. So it'll be our 10th year anniversary, like limited edition blend. Um, and that'll have some of our oldest product in there, which should be about eight to nine years when it's all getting blended. Um, and just a mixture of a bunch of other unique barrels that, that I hope people will really enjoy. Um, the oldest product that we've released on the market is a seven year Patent Road Reserve single barrel cask strength. And those are excellent. Um, I've had a couple myself. Awesome, man. I'm glad you like it. So, uh, you, you touched on a little bit uh, mash bill and grains that go into your all's uh, product. Yeah, so uh, we we use 60% of that red heirloom corn that I spoke about earlier, um, 14% uh, of an heirloom wheat, 14% of an heirloom rye, all that we're getting from um, sort of these ancient seed grains from the university and revitalizing these strains just so that uh, we're kind of the only people using them and we're only using them for bourbon. Um, And then it's 12% malted barley that we get from Chilton, Wisconsin um, from Breeze Malters, who sells a ton of malt to to a lot of the bigger distilleries as well. So as far as you all know, you're the only one using the red corn? Yeah. Or that uh, strain of red corn? Yeah, that strain of red corn um, is super unique and we we have sort of an arrangement with the university that if anybody did want to pull it out, they would let us know. But honestly, if there's anybody out there trying to use it, it's a huge pain in the butt <laughs> to grow it. Um, most corns these days do have some. Uh, so if you think about it like this, uh, the corn that we're producing on an industrial scale right now and the grains that everybody else is using um, to produce bourbon have almost uh, 50 to 60 years of development and uh, growth in those parent strains of that of that grain. So we're dealing with something that has not evolved more or less at all um, for about 50 or 60 years. So it's about a fifth as efficient in production. So you typically yield about 200 to 250 bushels per acre um, of the corn that everybody else uses. This yields about 50 to 65 bushels per acre. There won't be a quiz on that. You don't need to know, but just (laughs) (laughs) to understand the difference. Um, So, yeah, we, we love it, and we're the only people raising it right now, and we hope that nobody else steals it. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I think you went over this as well. The barrels you all use are 53-gallon? Yeah, so we um, tried to create a really unique barrel for our product as well. So we 
went through a couple different mediums. We started with some Brown Foreman barrels, started with some Kelvin barrels. Um, we've landed on Independent Stave out of Missouri as being sort of our favorites. And we dry age our staves um, for 24 months or two years. So I consider that kind of like dry aging um, a steak. You just throw it out in the open air and let all those wood sugars and tannins um, mature and saturate in that in that oak. Um, after that 24 months, they start putting the barrels together, and then we do another step that a lot of people skip, and that's a light toasting of our barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just sort of like caramelizes those wood sugars that are already in there. Um, I like to refer to this as sort of toasting a marshmallow where you just caramelize and really enhance the flavors of it. Um, And then we use a number three char, which is kind of right in the middle of the road. Um, And that's just to open up the pores of the wood and allow the bourbon to um, seep in and absorb those nice matured caramelized wood sugars, tannins, and uh, flavors from that oak. Cool. Yeah, that's – you can definitely tell a little bit of difference in your all's products, just the softness of it, uh, which is – an unusual probably has to do with the red corn and the, the barrel char yeah a little bit i think um is from the uh from that that toasting of the barrels the red corn has a really delicate and unique flavor and then having that four grain mash bill um you know we're from wisconsin and we just want everybody to get along <laughs> so instead of jumping on like the sweet wheat bandwagon um, or the spicy rye bandwagon for bourbon, we just decided to throw it all together um, so that everybody had something that they could enjoy together. So uh, plans for the future? So the um, the limited edition will hopefully be coming out sometime this, uh, like November, December for our 10th anniversary. Um, we've got barrels set aside that I hope are going to last until 10 to 12 years. Um, I think the longest we will probably be aging is, uh, to 15. Um, and then finally we're having our Belfontaine batch three, uh, ready sometime this summer or spring. Um, and then we actually just put a hundred barrels of rye away this year. So that'll be a really unique product. Um, it's going to be an inverse of our bourbon mash bill. So it'll be 60% heirloom rye, 14% heirloom red corn, 14%, uh, heirloom wheat and 12% of that same malted barley. So stay tuned on that. But, you know, if you guys can be patient for four to five years, that's probably when we're going to plan on releasing it. You've mentioned a couple of your all's products. You want to just let everybody know what uh, products you all have currently on the market? Yeah, definitely. So our flagship product is our J. Henry uh, small batch bourbon, um, aged five years and proofed to 92 proof. Uh, It's a true small batch, um, really only about 10 to 15 barrels. Um, We want to keep it that small batch. Um, The next product we came out with about a year later, uh, in 2016 was our single barrel cask strength expression, um, of that small batch. So those are just, you know, the best barrels that I can find when I'm tasting through everything in our Rick house, the best barrels, um, that are really good enough to stand on their own. And we don't want to proof those down at all. 
Um, the final product that's readily available is our Bellefontaine Reserve. So that's named after my family's original farm that uh, was purchased by my great-grandfather when he moved over here from France. Um, had a little artisanal spring on it, so he named it Bellefontaine Farms, which means beautiful fountain farms in French. Uh, so this is sort of um, trying to tie our French roots to our Wisconsin bourbon. So we take uh, about 10 to 12 really unique uh bourbon barrels, blend those all together, and then finish it for about eight months in a French cognac cask. Um, now, something that's super unique about this product is actually how we proof it. So the main reasons you're going to proof something are to create consistency in your flavor and uh, your flavor profile and your proof. Um, you increase your yields per barrel. Um, and then I always joke that you pay less in taxes because it's paid on the proof gallon. If you add water, <laughs> you get more <laughs> proof gallon. Um, the unfortunate side effect of that is you are adding water and you're inevitably going to dilute some of the flavors in it. Um, but that's why we have our single barrel cask strength Pat road reserve. Um, so now in this, uh, theme of tying our French roots to this Wisconsin bourbon product, we wanted to pull uh, a technique from the French cognac distilleries and that is called slow reduction proofing. Um, so essentially what that is, is instead of using regular water, which will increase your yields, um, give you that consistency, but unfortunately, uh, decrease your flavor and kind of change your, your content. Um, we are actually going to pour water into some of our five-year ex-bourbon casks and then fortify that with our cask strength bourbon to about uh, 30% ABV uh, or 60 proof. Hmm. We then age that um, water bourbon mixture, once again, in our ex-bourbon casks for about three full years. And now you have a really unique product called Petit O, uh, which just means little water in this French proofing technique. Um, and this petit O is what we use to actually slowly bring the proof down uh, of our Bellefontaine while it's in that cognac cask. So maybe once or once every week or every other week, we'll pull like a gallon or so out of those petit O barrels and pour it directly into that cognac finishing cask and slowly, very slowly, gently massage it from about 120 uh, to about 100, 103 proof um, over that eight month period. So Super unique process. Please give it a try if you ever come across some. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll have to try one of those. I, that's one of the ones I haven't tried. I've tried mostly the the uh, picks and the uh, the castring stuff. Yeah, definitely. So, basically, in closing, uh, if you have anything you'd like to say uh, about the distillery, your team, or anything else, this is your time to uh, close out the uh, podcast. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, thank you for uh, for taking the time to interview me, um, ask a bunch of really good questions. Um, I hope it's enlightened a lot of people um, on what we're trying to do that's unique and different um, and really set ourselves apart from the craft industry and uh, hopefully keep giving the big guys down in Kentucky a run for their money. Well, I appreciate you coming on for the second time. <laughs> it's all good. like talking to you. And, uh, uh, 
look forward to seeing you in person sometime. Yeah, definitely. I'll let you know when I'm up in Milwaukee. Um, otherwise, I'll be spending a lot of time uh, hanging out on the farm this year and, and just helping out up there as well. All right, well, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Chad. And until next time, enjoy your pours. Hey, Joe. Hey, what's going on, man? Not much. How's your week been? Oh, you know, hectic as always, but what are you going to do? <laughs> I saw you uh, You were at the uh, Glenna event. Yeah, that's a pretty good one if you, uh, if you ever make it out to the Midwest. Cute little town, too. Well, that's where I live. Oh, you live in Galena? I li- well, I live in uh, Milwaukee. Oh, okay. So I'm yeah. not too far away. Oh, yeah. Next time, uh, next year, it's really well run. Um, so it's put on by uh, a liquor store like called Family Beer. Mm-hmm. And then Blom Brothers Distilling, who's also out of Galena. Um, and I think uh, the the owner of family beer actually withholds like a decent amount of his allocated stuff for just this event every year. So you can just like walk up to the Buffalo trace table and taste like stag handy, uh, Weller. They had like two bottles of the four roses, one thirtieth. um, birthday bourbon for this year from old forester. And then I think with your entry ticket, everybody got like a half ounce pour of Happy 15th. So nice. Yeah, yeah definitely worth it. <laughs> when I did the interview with uh, Blom Brothers, they were telling me I should come down, but I I was out of town for something, and I was out of town for Traverse, and I was I was going to Driftless this weekend. I was like, my my wife will murder me if I ask to go out another night. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel you, man. What were uh, you doing out in Driftless? Uh, we're doing a pick this weekend. Oh, nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I got a bunch of guys coming in from all over the country uh, with my group, Mythical uh, Mythical Beast. We're doing a pick. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, stop by on your way back or out or whatever because we're like 10, 15, 20 minutes away from there. Yeah, I know. Last time when I went to interview them, uh, Justin and I stopped by your all's tasting room afterwards. Oh, Justin Sharpie? Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's he's the guy that uh, I went in and talked to when I went to do. Well, he was there for the interview, and I talked to the two distillers. Nice. All right, well yeah, let's yeah, let's, let's get this, get this going. thing going so we can get over with for the second time. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I've definitely hit the record button this time. I made sure before I even called you. Uh, all right.
right, cool. So we've been we've been chatting this whole time. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but I'll cut this All right. off. All right, sounds good. Let me um, just pull up the questions that you sent me again. Um, did you send those over Facebook? Yeah, I did. I had to hit the little uh, text button up in the left-hand corner to get out of the call feature. Yeah, let me see. And it was on January 23rd, because I'm looking at the same thing. I'm trying to pull it up on my computer. Oh, my God. Here, of course, nothing's working. Classic, right? Yeah. That's pretty much how it works. Yep. All right. All right. I can figure this out. There we go. All right. Well, yeah. I'm ready when you are. All right. Let's do this. Cut.